things on this beautiful, sunny, not humid day. And we have one of the best things I love about St. Louis coming up, Carl. It is the annual Tennessee Williams Festival. And since 2016, I have just fallen in love with everything about the Tennessee Williams Festival, what Carrie Hope and her friends and her uh, uh, employees and the most talented actors do to represent Tennessee Williams for his St. Louis roots, because most people here know that, but the world doesn't. And so the Tennessee Williams Festival has done remarkable work showcasing Tennessee Williams. We'll talk to our guests from the Tennessee Williams Festival. We have Chauncey Thomas, Julia Crump, Brian Hofeld, and Elizabeth Teeter talking about the Tennessee Williams Festival. Then around minute 39, we'll have seven brides for seven brothers at the Muni. Around minute 46, we'll get to the movies, starting with Respect. Around minute 55, Coda. Around one hour and six minutes, Free Guy. Around 116, we'll talk more plays with Always Patsy Cline. Around one hour and 18 minutes, What If on Disney Plus. And then around one hour and 22 minutes, Lynn has an amazing announcement about her being, no, I'm not going to say. You'll have to listen to one hour and 22. We are so excited because this year they're actually going to do productions <laughs> and it's going to be where Tennessee Williams once lived in the central West end. So we have two of the stars of the play. You lied to me about Centralia, which we'll get into and uh, Chauncey Thomas and Julia Crump two of my favorite people in St. Louis. I'm just going to go on record. (laughs) And uh, I'm so delighted that they are back because uh, last year, everything was on the radio. Yes. I I loved it. It was on uh, classic 107.3. Yes. And I I like that station. And it's the, as my wife calls it, the distracting classical music station. (laughs) Well, you, I know that was your favorite station, so I know, but they did so many wonderful things. Well, they did a radio version of a Glass Menagerie, but we're going to talk yes. about Glass Menagerie later. This is actually a play not by Tennessee Williams, but inspired by him. It's by John Guare, who is a great New York playwright. Well, this and- was, this was a, this was an off-Broadway production six years ago because it was all stuff based on Tennessee Williams things. And I have one weird, the placement of this in the festival is kind of odd to me because it's a sequel, direct sequel. It takes place right after Glass Menagerie, but on the days that they're gonna be performing it, they're performing it before they do Glass Menagerie. Chauncey, what, why? <laughs> because I need a break. Chauncey uh, no. <laughs> plays Jim the Gentleman Caller in both productions. I I had I had actually I was calling my mother uh, last night and I was telling her I I, I don't believe she knows the story of Glass Menagerie, if if I'm correct. Pretty much. So she's got to go the night before and then so the you, next day. So I was like, you know, I'm like, oh, you can see you. Uh, you lied to me about Centralia. I was like, wait a minute, you you maybe don't want to see that one before you see um, uh, The Glass Menagerie. Um, Had they thought about doing it like a matinee and then a late show or was this always the 
choice? Or did you guys not have any say in the matter? I, yeah, I, as far as I know, I did not have any say in the matter. I'm just happy to be, you know, on a stage. <laughs> but, you know, I would say the glass, it does open before you lied to me about Centralia. So there's definitely an opportunity to view it uh, beforehand. Yeah, the um, Glass Menagerie is going to be August 19th through the 22nd, and then the next weekend. So it's two weekends of performances, and those are at 8 p.m. at the Tennessee. And then we have You Lied to Me About Centralia as the matinee at 2 p.m same location which is why now i had the privilege to see this when the when the st louis theater crawl happened a few years ago and julia and pete winfrey played those characters and what a delightful show and not just because i actually know where centralia illinois was i worked at the daily newspaper in centralia and the radio station w-i-l-y w-r-x-x in centralia so big railroad town hi brian so we just were joined by Brian Hofeld, who is the director of the Glass Menagerie. So we're going to connect the dots between the Glass Menagerie and You Lied to Me About Centralia. Well, Julia, this is you are repeating your role. What do you love about this play? I really like how it kind of brings in a very realistic world into the story of the Glass Menagerie, which is, of course, very... Um, deals with a lot of very real and difficult things, but it has such a dreamlike quality. So this kind of brings in uh, my character, Betty, who is, I don't know if I'd say she's exactly super down to earth, but she definitely <laughs> is very real and she's not censored and there's no filter on her. So it's interesting to kind of combine both worlds. And I actually almost am excited to watch The Glass Menagerie both before and after being a part of this play and being a part of this world because it's very much all about the contrast between um, Jim's experience and then his everyday life. And it kind of really heightens the choice that he is making and has to make. Well, Julia, in The Glass Menagerie, we don't know if Betty even exists, that it might be Jim's way of just getting out of this dinner. In this, version you definitely exist and is that did you come across coming into the character as you if you had to make it your own without anything from Williams at all yes um and when you read the script Betty is definitely there's a likability to her but she is not necessarily the most likable <laughs> creature in the world um so it's very interesting to kind of bring in some of these other elements that aren't necessarily explored in the other play but are very relevant to the time period um both when it was written and also in the modern sensibility i mean this play was written not very long ago so it's definitely a different perspective and almost bringing back that memory aspect of it um there's the difference between Betty has a big monologue at the beginning and then um, Jim kind of recounts what his experience was and the contrast between the two is, is, is striking. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, I think. Well, Chauncey, what was it like to play both a gentleman caller, Jim, in Glass Menagerie and then follow up with the interaction with his girlfriend? Yeah, it's it's been really fascinating. I... You know, I 
I do look at these as two separate characters. I, I think, you know, um, Tennessee Williams Jim is Tennessee Williams Jim and, you know, John Guare, um, I think took some liberties, but it's really fascinating for me to look at, there are so many things that I say and you lied to me about Centralia, either I'm bending the truth a little bit or I'm avoiding saying something and because there's that definite blueprint of like well we know this happened in the glass menagerie and so it's just like well what am I going to tell my fiance so it's 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 <laughs> it's, it's fascinating well, in that sense Tom that I, says at the beginning of the play he doesn't necessarily remember every it's not a factual recount of what happened and because you know it's a memory and memories change so yes. it's open for interpretation anyway True. That's absolutely true. Um, I I just think in terms of the perspective of watching the play, you you'll you'll just you seeing the things that do happen, whether that you know the memory or not. But um, I I think that that um, really kind of is the main thing that's kind of influencing the choices that I'm making in You Lied to Me About Centralia. And there's, I would say there's there's a few, um, yeah, so it's, it's my, they're just different gems because of <laughs> various reasons. Now, well, every, since Brian, oh, go ahead, Lynn. I was just gonna say, everybody knows the glass menagerie is, well, I hope people know this because you had to learn it in the school. Uh, it, it was Tennessee Williams' first feature play on Broadway, brought him acclaim, awards, took his career off, but it's set in St. Louis. He was working at the shoe factory that his father was an exec at. Jim, the gentleman caller, is his work friend, and I love that he calls him Shakespeare, and it's just so fascinating to see all these connections the more we know about it, and even though it's a play that we have seen before, Brian, I'd like you to talk about what fresh perspective you are bringing to this particular production. We can't hear you, Brian. Oh, <laughs> I, Brian. no, no, but it's it it says that you're not muted. So yeah. there, wait, I, we heard something. I was going to ask Chauncey who his favorite director of the two because Brian was here. <laughs> okay, let's. Uh, yeah, we hear you, Brian. Okay, uh, well, um, except now am I frozen? I don't know. You are frozen, but we can hear you now. Okay, okay. Uh, anyway, okay, so fresh perspective. I'm not flattering myself to think that I'm bringing anything uh, fresh to this. I'm just trying to mine, uh, mine things that, that maybe not all productions uh, uh, find. So um, I, I'm, I'm, since we're outdoors, I'm, we're, we're using that to our to the best we can. We we want to utilize these fire escapes and we want to utilize uh, the surroundings. Um, we had a, a our first rehearsal outside last night, and the neighborhood sounds, uh, while distracting and very loud, also kind of um, bring reality to it. I mean, this they would be that would be happening outside their apartment. So I think that's the the, the outdoor element of it, the historical element of it, doing it here in the building. I think that's. That's a, a fresh perspective uh, that, that we can bring that no, really nobody else can. And hi, Elizabeth. We are so happy to have you here. Elizabeth Teeter, who plays 
Laura in the the play is here to join us, and so we can have a discussion with you all about this work. the The magnitude of this play, because I know the festival has spotlighted some of Tennessee Williams' most famous works, but also his lesser known works too. This is such a huge part of what started him on his career as one of the greatest living playwrights. So what about this location helps you understand this production? Uh, I guess I'll, I'll say something. Um, there's something sort of magical about knowing that this is where this family lived. And I feel like there's almost a greater responsibility to honor these characters and honor the piece because we are, you know, reenacting this play where they all lived. And so, I mean, I think there's something profound about the play in itself, but I think um, this is going to be an even more like unique experience. And like Brian was saying, you know, fresh or not in terms of direction, but there's something already unique and fresh about where we're doing it and how we're doing it outside. And um, yeah, just, just, I already feel that responsibility of, you know, taking care of Laura and taking care of these characters. But I think that's even at a greater scale because of where we're doing the show. It is at the Tennessee and the uh, address is on Westminster and it is uh, 4633 Westminster Place. Now you can't just show up. You have to get your tickets on MetroTix because it is a limited audience in these days of COVID and you are all certified art safe for this production. So that's uh, important to note. But Brian, uh, you said a really interesting thing. I think that nowhere else in the world can you see this show presented as you're going to present it right i mean he only lived in a number of places here and this is the only existing one um and the, I, the fire escapes are just so great it's like all, all you have to do is see tom walk out on an actual fire escape to start the play and it's just it takes you there as elizabeth was saying it really adds to the magic of of the uh of the evening and of the theatrical experience now Chauncey, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I am going to ask Julia and Elizabeth, who do you think Jim should wind up with? Do you think it should be Laura or Betty? Julia, you first. They're just so different. <laughs> How diplomatic of you. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, yeah. How can you compare the two? <laughs> Elizabeth, what is your diplomatic answer? Oh, I mean, I kind of have to say the same thing. I think, um, I think I'd be curious to see what would have happened if Laura and Jim were together because they are so contrasting. Um, and it might be one of those things where it's like, it was just a magical moment in time and a moment in life. And I don't know if it would have actually how well it would have worked out. So it's one of those things where it could have, could have not worked out so well either way, but um, it's just, that's an interesting question I hadn't really thought about. Um, I mean, it makes it heartbreaking because, you know, this is sort of the pinnacle of her experience in her life and to him, who knows, you know, he, he might just, you know, move on from her like this. Um, yeah. 
Well, Laura always breaks your heart. And I'm sure that you will again do that in the role <laughs> because it's just so sad. But Tennessee Williams had a special relationship with his sister, Rose. Mm -hmm. And he took care of her for many years. And as we know of their dysfunctional family, it was not the best home life situation. And so uh, what about the real life do you take from it to add to your fictional character? Of Laura? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I feel like I try, I feel like when you're, you're playing someone that's sort of based on someone else in real life, like there's only so much you can take, but you want to stay true to what he put on the page. And so I try, I try to, I guess it's just going back to trying to play her as honestly as possible without putting on any sort of facade of what Laura should or shouldn't be, or if she's neurotic or this or that, just because um, I think the, the more truthful you can get at the character, the more I'm trying to respect whoever that woman was, because you never really know who she was. You know, we, we might have records of, you know, what he wrote or this or that, but we're never really fully going to know who Rose was or who Laura is. And so uh, I guess pulling and reading from a bit of what he, you know, his relationship with her, but also just sticking to what's right on the page. It always breaks my heart when she talks about how she was walking through the jewel box. And so oh, when yeah. I've been to the jewel, but I think the of jewel. this fragile flower. Yeah. I went just... there recently. Um, oh. I was in Forest Park, you know, we're in Forest Park a lot. And I walked by there and I was just thinking about how wild it is that they mention these places that we walk by all the time. I was going to ask you about that. Isn't that, that just, it just feels, some, I don't, I can't describe it. It feels special. Yeah especially having grown up in St. Louis and like knowing these areas, knowing the zoo, knowing the park, knowing the glass jewel box. It's very like, very special to have lived here. Like she lived here. And I think there is some sort of connection there. I think so. Now, Julia, you were in the rooming house plays, which was at the festival a couple of years ago. And Carl, it was set in this stately old home. It had some, I can't remember the connection, but it had something. And, and each room, they had one of the one act plays in. It was really fascinating. And Julia was sitting at a dress, uh, I guess, a vanity. And you just looked like you were born to be in a Tennessee Williams <laughs> production. You know, and I, and I know, and that way, and so I just think that you were just so well suited for that. Brian, did you have anything to do with this casting of Glass Menagerie? Uh, no, um, I never, <laughs> whenever, I, whenever I work with Carrie, oh, I, I just leave it up to Carrie because I know we've known each other for many, many, many years and we've worked together before and our, our tastes and our sensibilities are very much the same. And we, we have always agreed on who's a good actor and who isn't maybe a good actor. So uh, I just kind of leave it up to her and trust her. And she always comes through. I, Julia was so great. And um, Eric uh, was so great in that. And it was just, it was such a weird, fun little piece. And, and for Julia to be there with you know, all the audience right on top of her, it was just, it, took, it, was, it was, I know it was tough, but once she gave a great performance. It was really fun. I love these unconventional ways of doing Tennessee Williams, what people consider to be like, you know, American theater, like 
being able to bring something different and fresh and a little scary <laughs> sometimes for the um for everyone involved we're like i really hope we can pull this off but it there's something magical about them and i think they really transcend you know all different types of experiences well that was one of the first times in st louis where people actually had experienced that going into rooms and this while you're not inside the house you're outside the house but i would think with with the fire escape everything it's just going to be an extra special immersive feeling yeah, we're calling it site-specific theater uh, because really that's what it is in the same way the rooming house plays work. Only in this particular case, we, other than the fire escapes in the building, we had to bring and build everything ourselves, uh, the rest of the stage and the lighting equipment and everything else. And I told, I told uh, Carrie, it reminded me when I got married, we, were, we have a beautiful backyard and we thought, let's have a reception in the backyard. And then we started looking into it. It was like, no, that you have to get the tents, you have to get the tables, you have to get chairs, every fork. You know, and so it's just like, and that's kind of how I feel like we're doing this production, but uh, but I think it will be worth it, as, as my wedding was. Right. Very, very. You can go to twstl.org for more information about Glass Menagerie. You lied to me about Centralia, the walking tour, and all the other things that they're doing, twstl.org. And I just want to give a shout out to Elizabeth for her wonderful portrayal of Liesel last week in The Sound of Music. So how did you balance playing Liesel and playing Gosh. Amanda? I mean, uh, not Amanda, Laura, I'm sorry. It was a bit wild because there was a, a period of overlap. We were safe. We were indoors with masks. We were taking all the precautions in both productions. But um, I tried I tried to learn both my scripts before I started just because I knew if I didn't touch Glass Menagerie, you know, the Muni is so fast. We're there for six hours every day and then it's up within like a week. And so I knew I wasn't going to have much time to focus on Glass Menagerie. So I wanted to focus on both before. And then um, so when I could get into rehearsals for Glass Menagerie, I could focus on that. Um, and it's fun. I mean, there's some, the characters are similar and also completely different at the same time. Um, so it's kind of fun to be able to I don't know, they're both classic pieces of theater, but in different ways. And so I feel super lucky that it worked out that I get to do uh, both of them this summer, especially after this pause in theater, coming back to do these two really beautiful shows is like something I feel very lucky about. And you guys got off the stage before uh, the winds knocked out seven brides for seven yes. brothers. We thought we might be rained out for our last two shows, but we got super lucky. The weather wasn't Hot, really hot at all and we didn't get rained out and everything was great so we we didn't want to say anything until it's over because you don't want to jinx anything but the minute we closed we said we did it <laughs> we got through it i heard the two um, of the brothers got blown off the stage completely well chauncey you have been working in shakespeare this summer so how do you make that transition between uh and what did you play at the illinois shakespeare festival Yes, uh, we were doing The Winter's Tale and Measure for Measure. So in Winter's Tale, uh, I was Camillo and four other small roles. And in Measure for Measure, I was Angelo. And Carrie called me, I think she called me, it was like the we were in one of the tech weeks. And so I was like, how in the world am I going to get, get all of this done? Um, but yeah, once once we opened, I, it was just like, okay, well now I, I do have my mornings 
somewhat free. Uh, so I, you know, it just began the, the line memorization and the text analysis. And it's been crazy, but before that there was nothing. So this massive famine. So I'm just trying to enjoy this feast that is in front of me right now. And I'm just very grateful for it. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this has been a challenge. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's so good to have you back in St. Louis because Chauncey moved to New York city, but he comes back for the Illinois Shakespeare festival, which is in Bloomington, Illinois, where my alma mater, Illinois state is. And also, and it's very famous that castles, just a brilliant setting. So you're used to outdoor yes. and you were here at Forest Park in the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. So you're used to that. Brian, you were talking about your wedding being outside. What is it like to direct outside? Uh, um, we've only been outside one night. We've been rehearsing indoors uh, at a room at the Chase that they were kind enough to lend us. And, and last night watching it, I was, it seems odd somehow. And then I realized that I had never seen the bottom of the actor's faces. It, <laughs> it was, it was it's like, just, it was sort of like, well, what's different? And that was what it was. And it's, so it, it, it's a, it made things a little different. The, if I can say too about the scheduling, it's, it just all, it fell together so perfectly when we were dealing with Chauncey's schedule, Elizabeth is leaving at the end of the month. We had this time frame that we had to do it in these two weeks that we had to do it in and these two weeks that we had for rehearsal. And it all came together owing to Carrie's, uh, Carrie's um, uh, what's the word, enthusiasm and commitment to it. Uh, so, yeah. That's the nicest way to say it. Yeah, well, Carrie is a life force. Yeah, she's a life force and she gets things done. And I'm just so excited because I did listen to every radio show last year, but it's still not the same as good as it was and as good as you were in it. The, but it's still not the same as connecting to that live theater experience. And I think once we were back this summer in theaters that we recognize that you don't you don't get that live connection anywhere else yeah and i just want to ask brian this is totally off tennessee williams but you were part of the slew high mafia <laughs> and uh you actually um, my grade school class well he wasn't my classmate but he went to my grade school ken quapas you know well oh. because you've worked on films together and uh you currently live in hollywood but what is it like to come back to st louis to work here Oh, it's great. I, I, um, I love the theater. I don't get a chance to do it too much because, uh, um, you know, my, my other career, um, but it's, it's wonderful. And the, the whole slew mafia thing is so funny just because I, I don't think I'm considered part of the official mafia because that's the James Gunn era. And I was more, um, and I was actually even before George Hickenlooper, although I didn't know George. Uh, so Ken and I were uh, probably the only two to come out of uh, that year, but um, yeah, but it's always great. It's always great to come back here and, uh, and just hang out and then to work. I haven't had a chance to hang out. We've been working too much, but um, yeah, mm -hmm. it's always good. Yeah. Anything you want to tell people about why they should come to this festival, not just glass menagerie but also you lied to me about centralia and then there's a tennessee williams tribute there is a walking tour in the central west end thomas mitchell 
one of the premier authorities on Tennessee Williams will be leading that. And then there's scholarly panels. Why should people invest their time into this? Because it's cool. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's, I always learn something new every show I do at every festival I go to. And uh, it's, you know, for the, for the curious, interested theater goer, it's, you can't miss it. So it's an experience that you, you probably won't get anywhere else. I mean, it's these classic plays, classic American theater, but also who, you know, who gets to see the Glass Menagerie or you lied to me about Centralia where he grew up. I think it's just such a unique experience that, you know, if you're a theater fan, you don't want to miss out on. That's great. Brian, I remember the first time we met was at um, a party with Lori Mack and Alan Knoll. And that, that was a while ago. And we, and you made Lori Mack almost cry when she, because her favorite character is Eeyore. And she said, okay, there's a piglet movie. There's a Tigger movie. Of course, there's <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. How come there's no Eeyore movie? And you broke her heart by saying, Eeyore can't open a movie. <laughs> I, boy, I don't, I kind of remember that and I feel, I, I need to apologize to Laurie. For no, that. no, she, no, because she has gotten more mileage out of that story <laughs> in the last 25 years than yeah. anyone deserves to. But unfortunately, it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Poor Eeyore. Yeah. I mean, he had troubles enough and then that, yeah. Well, we don't have time to go through everybody's resume, but these are accomplished people. And Brenda Curran is going to play Amanda in The Glass Menagerie. And she is known for bringing Tennessee Williams characters to life and also some of the classics, especially Southern classics. And then uh, we have uh, Bradley James Tejada, who has been a regular and he was also at the Shakespeare Festival in Love's Labor's Lost, where I first saw him. And he is, he is really fantastic. So you have other people that are of great caliber. And I encourage everybody to read the resumes of all our guests because they are very accomplished. And they've done cool things. Yes. And Elizabeth, are you going back to school yeah, I, I am, at least in the fall. Everything's a little bit in the air with, uh, you know, theater and COVID still. So we'll see. But I'm headed back to New York and I'm excited to be there. Yes. And just real quick, uh, you have experience on the Broadway stage. You were Jane Banks in Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. And you were also with Helen Mirren in the audience, which had to be incredible you want to say a few words about working with Helen Mirren yeah I mean she's one of those people that uh you hope celebrities and people of that caliber are are great to work with and she's even better um she was just so so unbelievably talented but just the kindest person and she treated everyone from every single crew member every single cast member exactly the same and and gave 100 percent and she was just such a, a great role model. And I learned so much, not just how to bring yourself on stage, but how you should act off stage and what is a part of being the theater community, no matter how uh, high level you get, or, you know, you're Helen Mirren. But um, so she was, I, I, people are always relieved to hear that she's, she's the most wonderful. 
I, I saw Mary Poppins on Broadway and the sets, the, the house is, it's just something that you have to see because <laughs> it's so unbelievably good. And you wouldn't think that like a, the house becomes its own character. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. that great. Cherry Lane or what, what is the address? Uh, yeah cherry tree lane cherry tree lane that's right that's right well what have you all learned from working with each other if i can put you on the spot nobody start with start with julia um it was i was so excited to get to work with chauncey who i met many times but had never worked with when we started on the radio plays and um when you take away a lot of the elements that you're used to when you're doing theater, it can become very difficult. And so it is so amazing to have such a generous and um, talented, talented person to get to work with and explore things and try things that don't work. But working with Chanti is like a masterclass and making bold choices, making good choices, trying things vocally. Like I'm so, so lucky. I can't wait to get to spend the next week working together. John C., you've been tagged. I've been tagged. I have. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I feel the same um, way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel I, the same way. In terms of uh, Glass Menagerie, I, I started a week later than everybody else. So they, they kind of, you know, uh, the first day of rehearsal, I'm thinking, well, you know, what is, what is this, uh, what is the energy in this room? What, what style? What is the story we're telling? Um, and it has been incredibly easy to just slip into it. It was just like, I just started hearing the, their voices and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, okay. Yep, I know what play we're doing, great. great. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, the same thing working working with uh, Julia. It's, um, I'm, I'm getting to a, a place in my career where I'm, I'm a little less concerned about what show I'm doing and I'm more concerned about who I'm doing it with and I'm, starting to get to constantly interact with actors who um, you don't have to act with. You just get to exist because their presence are so pure. Uh, and that's that's kind of what I'm experiencing right now is just, just like, yes, I get to trust this process. I get to trust my scene partner and this is all gonna go very smoothly. And you know, if I do something different or if I get a, a, a impulse like they're going to respond to that because they are with me in the scene and present so it's it's very exciting i'm very excited <laughs> elizabeth you can't just say me too ah, <laughs> she already said everything i was going to say i mean i mean with chauncey like you said he came in like a week i mean you've only had a few days with us really because okay, five of rehearsal for me <laughs> you know zipped off and the minute the minute we started doing that long scene in, in the second act that is kind of, it's one act on its own, it was just immediate warmth up to each other. And and it just, like like he said, it just felt like, you know it's great when you feel like you don't have to act. You know it's great when you feel like you're just going off one another. And I can't wait as we, uh, now it was nice. I got to see your face yesterday for the first time. <laughs> I could see you smiling. You could see me smiling. Um, and so I think it's just going to be, you know, throughout this next week as we're rehearsing even more special um, as we keep keep rehearsing and, and, and finally get to to perform. And, and I hope, Julia, I hope that we get to do a play together next. <laughs> I can't wait to see you. Um, you know, I'm so excited. 
It's going to be great. Brian, since you work between films and then now you're on stage, what do you like about the stage process that you don't get on a big budget Hollywood set? Uh, well, in, in, in my film and TV work, uh, as a writer, you're sitting in a room alone. Um, as a producer, you have to interact with people a little bit more, but as, it's so, so it's a totally different, it's, it's such a collaborative process, even more so than, uh, than say TV animation or something, but, uh, or, or film too. I guess film is pretty collaborative, but this is like, you're, you're standing right there with these people and it's great. And, they, and you feel the energy and you feel what they bring to it. And uh, you take what they bring and then, and then make it work, uh, see if you, how, how to bring it into it. Because when people come with good ideas, the, the best idea wins. I'm not, I like have no ego as a director. It's just uh, the play. It's all about the play. It's about the storytelling. Um, and both of both of uh, well, all three of these actors that I've worked with, they're all they all bring something really great to it. When when Chauncey showed up, like he said, it was just like it was perfect because it was like the gentleman caller was here after a week. It was like we've all been waiting for him, and <laughs> and, and and Chauncey brings such a great sincerity and realism to the role, which is uh, which is great because you know sometimes the gentleman caller, even in the script, the gentleman caller can be a bit of a jerk. He like. And I don't think I've never seen this in any production, but I guess in the original production, he like when he wraps up the chewing gum and the paper, he throws it under the sofa. He takes a swig out of the out of the uh, wine bottle. He's kind of he a, breaks I mean, a unicorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's just to just to have it's just the interaction. And 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 Carrie and I both have a rule, uh, a, a no jerk rule. Um, like Chauncey was just saying, we, we you know we we pick projects based on who we want to work with and if it's and I'm at the point uh in in, in my uh life that uh, yeah I don't need it you know I mean I don't need to work with jerks so I usually just say no but um but this was a you know this is a great opportunity with great people and I, I thank Carrie for for asking me to do this well thank you all for your time because I know you're you're uh, this is what's called hell week and so I all want you all to break a leg and I'm so excited to see this and we look forward to it. And Carl, you got to put it on your schedule. You got to put all, you got to put all of it the I'm day trying. and the night. I'm just, I have a you. senior in high school. I know all that crap goes first. <laughs> I understand. Well, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have uh, well, I can't see anything positive right now because it's jinxing it. So like I said, <laughs> break, break leg. your legs, all of you. <laughs> all of you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks. Remember, you can find it at TWSTL.org. All information about the whole festival and these lovely people that we're talking to right now. Thank you all for being with us. Bye. Bye-bye. I like that, Lynn. They were very nice. All that was wonderful. I'm so excited to talk to these people. I haven't seen them in so long and I've never met Elizabeth. So that was that was wonderful. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing your future careers and I look forward to seeing Julia and Chauncey and things here. But I know Elizabeth, we're gonna we're gonna hear about her. Uh, <laughs> well, thank uh, you. Thank Thanks you. a lot. Have a good one. You Bye. guys, thank you. Yeah. All right, so Lynn, let's talk about what happened at the Muni this week and why I didn't get to go see anything. All right, well, it's Thursday really it's really weird that they call a show at eight thirty-five. Usually, they wait until nine. 
Well, Dylan was on one of the TV stations and he said they don't call it till 930. But I think the weather forecast that night, but I think the lightning yes. played a huge part. This huge thunderstorm came in at seven o'clock. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it knocked down a tree in front of my house. And it cut power out among the the uh, St. Louis masses, the bi-state oh, yeah. region. Oh, Warrington all over the school, Midwest. Oh, Warrington School was the middle school had a roof collapse and people, trees everywhere. Uh, so the Muni, Carl, you got there. I was taping my KTRS film reviews and I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay in my car because I could see the lightning. And right. I was like, this isn't good because you cannot endanger actors on stage. No. And it's a dance And it's a show. dancing show. And I, you heard them blowing off the water on stage. And like they were trying to wipe up seats, but it was just a continuous rain. And so I, we were up front. And then as soon as someone came on the PA system, I grabbed my wife and said, let's start walking. Because people were, people were standing there listening to them cancel the show. And not moving. I'm like, we need to move to stop. There were still a lot of people that came, even though everyone knew it was going to be canceled. Well, in St. Louis, we're used to storms blown over. I'm used to being at the Muni and being huddled under the awnings. Uh, yeah, the awnings and waiting out. Vestibules, I re right. remember a couple of years ago with Unsinkable Molly Brown. Uh, we did not and get out of there. And that was opening night. Yeah, we did not get out of there till after midnight because there was rain delays but they are in sync with the national weather service and denny would come on and say hey it's supposed to clear up at like 1005 so we're gonna hold uh, uh, you know we're gonna wait it out now this one it was just too much it was right. such a fast storm those raindrops were so giant at first and so i stayed in my car but i was going out because you were texting me what was happening and when you said people were blowing off water off the stage i thought okay well i'll go to box office to get my tickets even though i was there like 8 15 <laughs> you know and right. then i thought and then i kept seeing the lightning and there i just knew there was no way no way mm-hmm so well they so moved you you went yes on i went second last opening night. night right they they moved it to last night and uh to friday night and what a bunch of uh uh troopers i mean mm -hmm. i can't even imagine the the pain that dylan and his staff had to do to rearrange all the tickets for right. last night and and everything so we went it's uh you know the movie 1954 is as old as I am. <laughs> I'm upfront about that. And it has not aged well in, especially in the era of me too. Now they have done a new book. They've changed some songs. They eliminated the barn dance. Okay. But it's like whiplash because you have these, you have these wonderful dancers and performers given it their all. And then you have some of the clunky dialogue that you cannot avoid because i need to find me a wife yes this is the pacific northwest in the, you know the 18th century so or is it the early 19th century it it's when matter. the oregon trail everybody follow the oregon trail. everyone's dying of dysentery yes this is before portland's the hipster capital of the universe now so this is when men were men and women were property 
<laughs> it's just the way it is. It's based on that poem, The Rape of the Sabine Women. There's no way you can get around that as source material. The Sabine Women's song is they've they've tried to tone it down and then the brothers changed their attitude like they're not going to kidnap the women and so that's new different but it's still because you have that source material it's just hard for somebody of the modern era you know the world's changed a lot in the past five years yes so but I will say as a dance show, you know, people love that movie. It wasn't a play till 1978. It was a pre-Broadway tryout that came to the Muni. So the Muni was one of the first stages to get the stage adaptation. Mm-hmm. And then it went to Broadway in 1982. So the Muni had it. And it's been at the Muni. The last time was 10 years ago. And even 10 years ago was a little bit. But I will say the performers are good. Uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> well it was it was kind of like what was the show about the uh, the people panning for gold a couple years ago paint your wagon oh paint your wagon they tried to make that one they tried to update that and make it more woke and more uh immigrant stories more, yeah and, and more and more relevant to today's and you could tell that it was kind of yeah i it didn't not everything worked for me in that what the changes did it work this year? Not all not of so it. much. No, not all. But the of it. dancing's fantastic. Yes, the dancing. Those people are great. One of the uh, women who plays a bride, she was in the original workshop of an American in Paris. So you mm-hmm. should see her leg extension. Oh yeah, I Imagine. mean it's it's gorgeous, and the choreography on this is is wonderful. But there's just things you can't get around because those old golden age musicals most of the women sit around waiting for a guy to rescue them right which you know we live in a different world nowadays well that let's let's pivot then to um there are three movies that i saw this week i saw three of them and i liked two of them a lot and i was okay with one of them let's start with the one about the empowered woman it's called Respect, and it's Jennifer Hudson doing Aretha Franklin. Well, doing parts of Aretha Franklin. It's too much. The, the story tries to do her entire life, and they should have focused on part of her life rather than trying. I mean, and it even stops at 1972. They, they, they don't even go. They go from the 40s to 1972. That's still a lot of time, and they still leave a lot of things out. It's it's. It's like shotgun approach, a lot of little bits of a bigger story, but they're still trying to do too much. Yeah, well, at the end, during the credits, you see the Kennedy Center Honors where Aretha just brought the house down singing, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Because it was, it was the- Carol King. It was, it right. was, she wrote that song and it was to honor her. And that was, and she was fantastic in that. And that's better than the whole movie. Yeah. And then also we see her at Barack Obama's uh, inauguration in 2008, where she sang, right, where she sang my country tis of thee, but you're getting a lot of it at the end. And what my main thing was like, I thought Jennifer Hudson was fine. I thought I thought I thought she did a really good job. She wasn't doing everyone saying, oh, she's doing an impression of Aretha Franklin. I think no, Jennifer, we all know Jennifer Hudson can sing. And so I thought she did fine. I thought Marlon Wayans did a fine job. 
But I think, yeah, I think the problem here is the formula biopic. It's they struggle in childhood, although she was from privilege. She did not have a poor background, but she had parental issues, obviously. And uh, she was molested by a family friend and had her first baby at 12, which they just kind of like. Okay, and also the time the timeline is off on that as well, but that that's not the point. They never even give that baby a name. They just mention, oh, she was pregnant, and they 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 the kids are kind of an after. It's kind of like a sitcom because you know, like they have kids, and but it's not really about the kids, so they really don't mention the kids hardly at all. And you yeah, just she see had her holding chi- a new one every once in a while. Yeah, she had four children. Yeah, and uh, she was married twice. Uh, she was married to actor Glenn Turman, who's in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And, and yeah, but also um, they then she Toledo. starts dating her manager. And they, that's not that relationship doesn't really go. And that's not even one of her husbands. It's just no, so but confusing. she has a child by him. Right. Right. So it's very confusing. They throw it. But the soap opera aspect is what got me because it's just like the Elton John biopic Rocket Man. You know, all of a sudden, then you have substance abuse and then you have to redeem yourself from that. So all of a sudden she's drinking tons of alcohol. And I was like, where did that come from? It's just thrown out there. Like she has 50 bottles in her living room. And I'm like, okay. Um, and, And it just is so choppy. Choppy, what I like best when they do reinvent respect, mm-hmm. that is electric. With Audrey McDonald and um, uh, Sekon Sengblo and Haley Kilgore. Oh, wait a minute. Audrey, well, Audrey, no, Audrey, Audrey plays Audrey her, mom. her mom. Her, her mom, which also ghosts don't cure addiction. I'm sorry. Right. And, and she's underused because she is six time Tony winner record Tony winner. She is the only performer to win all four acting categories at the Tony's play and musical lead supporting all of it. Wow. So, yeah. So Audra McDonald, everybody knows. Audra McDonald's play, plays her mother. I was talking about when she's working out respect with her sisters. Sorry. Right. And then Mary J. Blige plays Dinah Washington. She who, has one really good scene and a couple nothing scenes. Right. That, that so just established the one scene that's coming up. So two of the uh, great voices of the 21st century underutilized. Now, I did think <laughs> like I did think Marlon Wayans was fine as the jerk manager husband. First husband. Yeah. Ted White. You can feel the He's still tension. alive. Yeah. You can feel the tension when he walks into a room and all these uh, well, uh, record executives are just like, oh, my God. And the Muscle Shoals. Now, Muscle Shoals has a really great documentary called Muscle Shoals. It's about yep. the famous fame record studio. And that's where Jerry Wexler, who Mark Marin is terrific as this good. Atlantic records executive who guided Aretha towards the career that she wanted Mm -hmm. and uh that's a really good scene but if you want more I suggest that documentary is really good and then also the documentary about Aretha being in the church recording Amazing Grace her album her Mm -hmm. biggest selling album of all time was that gospel session and that was from 1972 and the film was held up we talked about it before on the podcast it did not come out until 2018 
Well, she didn't want it out, first of all. Yeah, and, it was something with the estate. Well, she didn't want it to come out and she tried. I And then there was a thing with, you know, we talked about this. When you when you do a slate and you do the slap on the, on the slate, that's to get the sound in tune with the video. That was not done in several places because, you know, they were filming a documentary style. And since it was a, you know, music documentary they needed to do slates so they could sync the sound up and it was painstakingly done like frame by frame to make sure that the sound and the and the video hook synced up and they didn't release it till almost three years ago so that's where the movie ends and it's good forrest well, whitaker he is we didn't mention with, forrest whitaker yeah we he saddled with being the controlling dad the movie is basically she was uh she was controlled by men for much her of her life. life. And mm-hmm. she just wanted effect. a little respect. Right. And that became a female anthem and a civil rights anthem. It does show her civil rights work with Not Martin really. Luther King. They, it's, it's a, it's a whole, there's a whole lot of suggestions about things that they never really follow up on. Right. Which is really strange because this is a two hour and 25 minute movie, but it's yeah. unremarkable in terms of how flat it is. Well, it with- reminded me a lot of Judy and I liked Judy basically because of Renee Zellweger. But and I I like this movie, but I don't love it. And I don't I I wish there was just more. You know, if they would have combined this with the genius thing that they did on Nat Geo, maybe they could have. You know, the two people hated. I'm, I'm sorry, not hated. Hated is a strong word. People didn't care for this movie, and they didn't. Res- they didn't care for Genius. If they would have gotten together maybe it would have been one really good miniseries. Well, it's the first time director, Liesl Tommy, she came from Broadway. Okay, you can tell. Yeah, and I just think it just had, it was just confused because of the direction. They go more for the melodrama and soap opera instead of, I think, like you said, the career achievements would have been my well, way also, to go. Our, our buddy Dan Buffa said, it seems like it was nothing but hit after hit after hit. They don't get to her hits until an hour in. Yeah, so 75 minutes. Right. 75 minutes, and then we have respect. Well, I, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the hits she had before that. So it was, eh, it's not It's not a career retrospective. I mean, they don't even talk. They stop at 1972 with Amazing Grace. I mean, that's a good they could have just focused on one year of her life and the i hear that the net geo genius thing bounces all over the place but that actually gives a fuller uh aspect of her life but then again it's also several episodes long rather than you know just a two and a half hour movie right and uh doesn't even it just has a picture of her with with uh, the blues brothers yeah doesn't get into well, any it of doesn't that. go it doesn't go past 1972 that was 1980 so uh, i don't know i know but she's one of the great voices of the 20th century i'm very happy she's the first woman inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame yes she was I'm first, happy they first did i'm happy they did it if you want to see jennifer hudson sing blow the roof off uh sing respect she was on colbert the other night fantastic with john batiste and his band stay human fabulous would you like to talk about there are two movies that i really like this week would you like to talk about the melodramatic one or would you like to talk about the comedy 
uh, whatever you want to do. If you want to talk, let's go. Let's talk Coda. Okay. I watched Coda today. I cried like a baby several times. Oh my god! I know it. 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 it you know, I, I'm like daring people not to cry because it's basically it's a very familiar story it's a family dynamic Mm -hmm. and it's a teen coming of age you know where this movie's headed sure it's predictable but it will earn its way into your heart because it is a story that we are not privy to usually it is a child of deaf adults children of deaf adults is what coda stands for Right. And that is played marvelously by Amelia Jones. She plays Who's British. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is uh, some of the other people. And the kid from Sing Street that we love so much, Ferdia Walsh Pilo, he plays her choir partner. I'm not going to get into the other stuff about it. Well, it's, 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 he, he's gotten taller. <laughs> yes. And, I mean, it, it has been six, seven years since we saw him. Right. Last. Well, yes. Sing Street's 2016. So, yeah. and, he, you know, he's Irish. So, hello. But uh, she does a great job. Her parents are played by Marley Matlin, Oscar winner, youngest Oscar winner for a lead actress and first deaf woman to win. Mm-hmm. And also she was uh, something else with history, but she has used her her, her uh, hearing impairment to raise awareness. She campaigned for Congress to pass a law to get every TV with a chip in it for closed captioning back in 1995. So she has been an activist about hearing. Well, and this- she got, she got uh, Troy Kutzer and Daniel Durant cast in this movie. The, the, it's based on a French film and they got a lot of slack and a lot of heat for not having people that couldn't hear in the main roles of the family. And so I am so glad that Cyan Heater got first they got first they they got Marley Matlin and then she campaigned to get the rest of the family. And they had people on set that were teaching ASL, American Sign Language, and they had two coordinators and everybody everybody learned sign language that needed to learn sign language. I, this, this alone makes it better than the original film. Right, and it won uh, Sundance, uh, Cyan Heater won director. Uh, the movie won both the Audience Award and the Grand Jury Prize in U.S. Dramatic Competition. Same thing as Minari last year. And it's a heartwarmer, it's touching. It is not as typical as it is. It's not. So right. stay with it. It and also won a best best cast, best ensemble cast. So it's the most awarded film at Sundance. Ever. Yeah, I I think. And then Apple paid twenty five million for it, which is a record. So it's at theaters and it's also on Apple TV Plus. And I know I have been campaigning for everybody to get Apple TV Plus, but I checked today. It's four ninety nine a month. I, and you get I a, really enjoyed I really enjoyed this movie. I liked it very much. Even yes, it's derivative. And the movie we're going to talk about next is derivative as well. But I thought it was really well done and the acting is fantastic and 40% of this movie is silent. <laughs> and what yeah, which is it sheds a light onto what deaf people face in a hearing world. That scene where they cut the sound at that concert. That was mm-hmm. a brilliant move. And then 
when her but dad it's not it's not him, like it's not like sound of metal last year where they use that they, I'm glad they used a different tactic than Sound of Metal does. Right, because the, the issue here is the girl wants to become a singer. Her choir director, who is terrifically played by Eugenio Derbis, who's normally a comedian in but Mexico. He had, the, comic he, he, he had that movie, um, Instructions Not uh, Required. Is it, was that the Instructions well, It was not a Latin included. Lover movie. Latin instructions lover. Not Included, which everyone like, what the heck movie is this? It, it was the most successful Spanish language film in the United States. And uh, he was in, um, he's the voice of Donkey in Shrek in Mexico. So he, he's a, he's a comedian down there. Well, he is terrific as this and uh, he choir. Was, he yeah. was also in Dora in the Lost City of Gold. So he, Americans know him like, oh, he's that guy. Yeah. Well, he is placed the tough love choir director who went to Col uh, Berkeley College of Music, which is one of the most prestigious uh, music schools in the country. Yeah, it's still in Boston. Yeah. And it's in Boston. And uh, he gets Miles, played by Ferdia Walsh Pilo, uh, audition slot. And he recognizes Ruby. I love the line, it says, because she's so tentative and not confident in her voice. And he says, there are many pretty voices out there with nothing to say. Uh, he says, David do Bowie you have called, something to say? David Bowie called Bob Dylan uh, sand and glue. Sand and glue. And then she sings, oh, you're not sand and glue. But he does call her Bob. <laughs> because... Well, she sings Joni Mitchell's Both Sides Now as a... Uh, auditions piece and then she sings with with uh miles uh you're all i need to get by which is the marvin gay tammy terrell, tammy terrell. Mm -hmm. classic duet so the music is terrific in this i downloaded last night the song that plays over the credits called beyond the shore which is a new song because they need a new song so they can submit it for Oscar consideration. Yeah, it's it's a you know acoustic, but it's written by the composer and the director and a couple other people, so it's good. And then Amelia Jones sings it, so it's available beyond the shore, and it's just a pleasant song. But what I love about this movie is because the hearing parents can't obviously hear Ruby sing, they don't understand her desire. Right. to pursue this and they have a struggling fishing business and she has been their voice in the hearing world and they're so dependent on her they are fearful of what's going to happen without her and then she's fearful of abandoning them because they have been so dependent and so this family fishing business it's in as my new england cousins say gloucester Gloucester, massachusetts and it's a fishing village and it's so immersed in this uh, this whole atmosphere. You've got the ramshackle clapboard cottage that they live in. You've got the the uh, battered fishing trawler that they use for catching fish. And it's, I love that when you have such a specific sense of place and mm -hmm. this movie has that, but also- But it's when, also a high school trying to fit in movie. And there is some, I want to single out one thing. Um, they- they do talk about how she, when she went to school for the first time that she had the deaf voice. And that's because she grew up, that's how she learned how to speak. 
And you'd think that they would have had a television that since she could hear, she could have learned the correct way to talk. But it's, it's just something little nitpicky that I found weird about it. Also, the deaf talking, I love that there isn't any of it. Yeah. That is something, that is a choice they made and I'm glad they stick with it that, you know, because we know that Marilyn Matlin can, can speak because she, she has spoken and everyone has heard her voice. And we know that, especially Daniel Durant, he was in Spring Awakenings. He, he can too. speak too, but we don't, we, they don't choose to use that, which I find fantastic. I also like that they don't make this family to be pious and perfect because they're not. And the mom and dad have quite the active sex life, which is thin, which is, I which think is that's very thing. funny also. Oh, I know. Which is why, why is such an effective tool in this? Because the mom is an imperfect mom and she knows it. And, uh, I like they're they're uh, considering in it's going to be a heavy slate this year for acting, but uh, Marley Matlin's being in the discussion for best supporting actress nomination. Good, which I find really cool, and I just think I just wanted to spend more time with this family. Once once you get into it and you get past all the familiar like you know high schools, just but but it is a coming of age movie too because she's a senior in high school and the her she and her best friend have this that those are the only two that they hang out with each other all the time and they're they're kind of loner loners and they're not like it's not like book smart where they are you know, like the smart kids they are they're looking for the cheap and easy way to pass senior year and let it go and because it it's weird that she chooses choir yeah, they're so surprised that she does because she was shy and awkward and uh, they're like, OK, and she surprises herself. But she just it's one of those things she has to do. So that's it. But I bet you identified with a daughter wanting to leave home. Um, yes and no. Um, some movies are better of, of that than this one. I, I you really didn't get the sense that she was going to leave because you never had the sense that she was going to leave because she is so uh, she stuck with the family and the family stuck with her because she is, as they say, their free interpreter. Right. And uh, she also, what I like about um, the ending which I'm not going to spoil, but what I like about it is um, the things that they were working towards the whole movie about the town uh you see the glimpses of that so they just don't concentrate on the daughter they concentrate on the uh, the the other part the other family members lives too well that now let's let's go to a movie that I, I first of all i recommend coda immensely even if you don't think you're gonna like it you are gonna like it and if you don't wind up crying then you're a monster uh, the movie that I did not think was going to do anything, I was so pleasantly surprised by Free Guy. Me I, too. Me I didn't too. think I was going to like it. I thought, that as, as they said, as Deadpool and Korg said in their reaction video, this seems like it's a leftover from when Disney bought Fox. And it, it took Which a long is. time for it to come out. 
but it is worth it. And I upset some of my Disney friends that were Jungle Cruise skippers. I said, Free Guy is better than Jungle Cruise. It is. It's so delightful. I was blown away by this because I had low expectations. First of all, I'm not a gamer. My kids played video games when uh, they used to come home. Uh, they would get out the Mario Kart and, mm -hmm. and that's where they'd be in the bedroom for a couple hours. So I know, plus all the other stuff, those Grand well, Theft Autos. This is, a, this is a real life version of Lego Movie. And there's people are deriding this film that's derivative of Lego Movie, Ready Player One, uh, The Truman Show, They Live. They keep mentioning all these films. And yes, it, it, it basically it is a live version of the Lego Movie. But it's so delightful and charming because, okay, I watched a, a, quite a bit of the Olympic coverage mm -hmm. in prime time and Brian Reynolds was on like every five minutes. And I always think that that's a, not a good sign when you're so promoting this movie, like, are you this desperate? Plus it's August, but as we know, Guardians of the Galaxy came out in August and that changed things. Yeah, but this movie was supposed to be released a long time. It was supposed to be out, what, a year ago? It yeah. was supposed to come out uh, July 3rd. 2020 then they moved it to december then they moved it back to november now they finally released it and then it was going to be out in may and now it's out and well, it is worth the wait it is i had a look up npc because not a gamer <laughs> so that is a non-player character no non-playable character oh non-playable character well so when you when when you are playing a video game let me explain this to you when you're playing a video game and you are let's say mario and you are uh uh this would be not necessarily like a mushroom that was coming after you but uh like a flower in the background this that you can't play the flower the flower doesn't do anything for you it's not a power up or anything it's just something there and like if you're playing uh uh okay they also compare this to wreck it ralph this would be somebody in the stands somebody in the stands during wreck it ralph that is watching the road race so it's there it might be helpful to you but you can't play this character and so Guy is a non-playable character in this video game called Free City, which is kind of like a Grand Theft Auto kind of game. Right. And he and his best friend, uh, who is Lil Rel How Howery. Lil Rel is buddy. Yeah. Known for, you know, being the buddy and get out. And he's carved a niche as a buddy in movies. So uh, Guy works as a bank teller. Buddy is the security guard. They get a delicious cup of coffee every day. They go to work. It's all cheery. The, the bank is a, a scene of a heist. And uh, every, every day at three o'clock, they get robbed. And right. they all do the, they do the same thing because they are non-playable characters. They get on the ground. Buddy takes off his gun. And Guy and Buddy have a conversation while they're on the ground. Because the people with the sunglasses, the sunglasses are us. We are playing the game. And if you're wearing sunglasses, you are uh, you are a playable character. Right. Well, then uh, he runs into a girl, Jodie Comer, in a dual role who he's intrigued by. And then that starts the series of events where he is going to carve his own destiny in this game known as the blue shirt guy. And because he goes rogue, the 
world is captivated on these big video screens. But in the meantime, we have this subplot of this tech company called Tsunami. Well, this is in this is in the real world, and Jodie Comer from uh, Killing Eve and Emmy winner Joe, Joe Keery from uh, Stranger Things. Steve Harrington. He he plays Keys, and Millie and Keys were uh, phenoms. Uh, they were programming phenoms, and a couple of years ago, they made a game, and they sold out. Keys went and worked for the company that bought out their stuff. And Millie didn't agree with it. And so she's been, uh, she's Lucy from uh, Lego Movie. And she's also uh, in the Matrix trying to make everything appear and find out that their stuff was stolen. And Taika Waititi, I'm sorry, Taika Waititi plays a heel. He plays the owner of this company. He's Antoine. And He's a megalomaniac. Uh, Calls everybody guy. bro. Over the top. It's a wonderful villainy performance. And he has swindled them of their life's work. Right. And so Millie's trying to find her way to prove because she's suing him. But uh, Keys has uh, sold his soul to Antoine because he wants a job. And he doesn't think you can fight against the man. Well, Sean Levy directed this and he directed the Night at the Museum franchise and he's done Stranger Things. Apparently he's directed a yes. lot of that, which obviously the, the Joe Keery connection, but it's written, co-written by two guys. And Zach Penn is one of the co-writers and he has written for the Marvel Comics universe. He wrote, he was worked on the Avengers and mm -hmm. he also wrote Ready Player One. Right. So he knows this world. And I found it like I thought, well, I can understand it. If I can understand it, other people can understand it, too. I had such a delightful time. It's bright. It's cheerful. It zips along. You can't and, get and, that and, Mariah Carey song out of your head. OK, now, first of all, it's not the Mariah Carey song. I prefer to think of it as Tom Tom Club's Genius of Love. But it, it is Mariah Carey's fantasy. Um but yes, it's Tom Tom Club it is sampled from Mariah Carey's fantasy, but that that takes a big part of the movie. And also, my daughter has not seen this movie yet, but when she does, she's going to go crazy because and I'm not going to say who's in it because they don't want you to. There are a ton of cameos, but if you are a fan of uh, if you watch YouTube people playing other people's games, which it's just like watching sports. Uh, there are several prominent YouTubers and gamers in this game. And if you didn't know who they are, it doesn't, it's not a detriment if you don't know who they are. But if you do know who they are, it's cool and it adds legitimacy to this movie. Well, I also like the voice of one of uh, Ryan Reynolds' uh, actor Friends. buddies. Mm -hmm. Oh, there are, there are a lot of them. There are I'm a lot of little spoil. cameos. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to spoil it. Because it's so fun to hear it because of, yeah. And so there's actor buddies and then, but it wasn't, it just was such a big surprise. It was so, you know pleasant. why? Because the bar was so low that I, I really do like this movie and, and it was going to be my favorite movie of the week until I saw Coda. And I, I, I think they're equal, but they're, they're equal, but they're different. I mean, free guy is just fun. Coda is not fun, but Coda is good in its own right because it is. But 
if, if I had to choose one to see again, I'd see Free Guy again. Well, yeah, I said uh, this is what how I did it on KTRS the other night. I said I have one that's heartwarming, one that's surprising, and one that is disappointing. <laughs> so you can you can tell which all that is. But for fans of Ryan Reynolds, because I like Ryan Reynolds, even if he's in a bad movie, he's still likable. Yes. But he's got that Deadpool, um, that quippy delivery, and yeah. He, but he's he doesn't know that. he's like Emmett in Lego Movie. He doesn't know that he's not real, right. and uh, you know it's it's just fun. It's Grand Theft Auto. What what other movies did you get? What we say? Ready Player One, Matrix, Lego Movie, Truman Show. Yeah, Truman Show. Live, uh, and it's, I was fine with that because I think it's it's engaging mm -hmm. and it's just a good if you want to if you want just some escapism, some mindless fun at the movies. I just think that's a perfect thing for mid-August, middle of it, a heat wave. You know? Yes, I, I liked it very much. And it was surprising to me. And Disney, <laughs> Disney shouldn't have promote. Well, they did promote the hell out of this, but it's better than jungle cruise all right lynn we're, right. we're nearly out of time uh, i know did, did you I finish got... did you finish beckett i did not um i did not get a chance because i had to write my review of always patsy klein at stages st louis which has deanna DeGarmo as the legendary country singer and zoe vanderhaar repeats her uh st louis theater circle award-winning turn as Louise Sager. It's about the true story of a real life friendship between the country star and a Houston fan. And it's really adorable and fun. And Deanna DeGarmo, her voice has, since she was the runner up on Idol in 2004, uh, she has Fantasia. She came in second to Fantasia. Yes. And there were, at that time, there were 65 million votes for both of them. I voted. So I, I I want to say, I don't think I, I don't remember who I voted for because they were both really good. Well, that's the same season as Jennifer Hudson finished in seventh. Yeah. And it's also the same season where William Hung tried out with She Banks. <laughs> yeah. So that season, that's the famous season three. She is currently married to Ace Young, who was season five, but they met, she started being in Broadway shows Mm -hmm. uh, after Idol and they met in a production of Hair in 2011 and they've been married since 2013 and uh, Stages has him on Instagram congratulating his wife because he said he laughed he cried it was just magical her voice is beautiful now it is she uh, emulates Patsy Klein. she's from Georgia and she has country music roots she has this rich textured deep voice beautiful range and they have 27 Patsy Cline songs. This opens stages Kirkwood, uh, the Ross Family Theater in the Kirkwood Center for the Performing Arts, right downtown. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful theater, 529 seats. Everybody was there. This is the third time stages has done this, but the audience is putty. The right. audience when, when they were going to come back, they needed something that they knew that their audiences would like. Right. And then the next one's going to be Jersey Boys. So there you go. Same thing. <laughs> right. But this one, yeah, to come back and, and Zoe is just great as this woman, Louise Sager. And it's just such a pleasant experience. I encourage anybody who uh, 
even if you're not that big of a fan of Patsy Klein, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, did you know, Carl, that Crazy is the number one jukebox hit of all time? And it's a Willie Nelson song. Right. So that's good. And then Art continues at Stray Dog. They were rained out like everybody else on Thursday night. They're sold out till Sunday night. So if you still want to see that, that's good. And then what else do we have going on uh, locally? What if we, we, we were talking about Marvel earlier <gasps> and what if is now they, the first episode, um, what if uh, Peggy Carter got the juice instead of Steve Rogers? It, and that was fun seeing Peggy Carter kick some butt. They this... want to make more of those with Captain Carter. And I'm all for it. Haley Atwell reprises her role as agent carter and well she's not agent carter she's captain carter in the comics it was captain britain but captain carter actually sounds better well that is a wonderful series marvel what if and it takes the famous plots of their works and flips them in this we've we fortunately carl you and i got to see uh the first three episodes uh we are not going to spoil two for you but it'll break your heart well, again. The, the first one's the first one's out and then the next week is um going to have chadwick boseman so they've they've said that he's in it and oh, they've also okay. hinted they've also hinted that he might be in more than one episode this is the last thing he recorded before his death. as well the last thing he recorded as t'challa right and then also uh the third episode which i really liked was Iron i want to see that again because you know i i they watched cram a all, lot in i i, I the it's it, the third one's the hardest one to describe because yeah, well it's black widow but it's voiced by lake bell I, and i love lake bell yeah but me too. The, the third one's the hardest one to describe because the you can say that the first one is captain carter the second one is what it is and the third one is a murder mystery it's it's, it's with a lot of moving parts and i think i want to watch the third one again because it's yeah, hawkeye yeah yeah so, so yeah, that's good. No, I was really impressed with that, and the animation is very good. Yes, that's the why the animation my liked it. is particularly good. So good for Disney Plus. Um, I'm gonna hawk again. Uh, uh, Apple TV Plus, four ninety nine a month, but you can start with a seven day trial. That way, you can see the uh, uh, Schmigadoon wrapped up Friday night. Ted mm -hmm. Lasso continues best uh, best. It's a Christmas episode this week. Best comedy series on TV, bar none. Seriously. And also you can see Coda and then you can go way back into the archives and find On the Rocks with Bill Murray. And they have wonderful music documentaries. You Wolf and I have seen, Yeah. And we've saw, we've seen the Billie Eilish one. We've the seen Bill, the Beastie Boys documentary, the Springsteen documentary. The, yes. Apple TV has a lot of quality shows. Right. And I haven't had time yet to go into Mr. Corman, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt's mm -hmm. new show. But who doesn't like Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Right. Well, and so th yeah, there's so, a lot going so, on this week. So, and I'm not paid to say this by any means, guys. <laughs> and they'll also, I have to share my news. I have been Rotten Tomatoes certified. So I'm very happy with that because congratulations. I, thank you, Carl. You know, Carl, I didn't realize it was such a big deal. And so uh, when I was hearing this from people, I thought, well, I better apply. And I'm really grateful that they picked because it's a horrible and I'm not going to say horrible, but it's a very intense vetting uh, mm -hmm. process. And See, I don't people, write my reviews. If I wrote my reviews, I would apply for it. But I do everything 
by talking. So it's it would be a harder thing for me to do because but, yeah, but I think you could uh, because uh, you can't. They do have little. They have a whole list of criteria, but you can if you read further, they will make exceptions for broadcast. I, I'm I'm just like why I'm not in uh, Critics Choice because I I'm lazy and don't want to do the work. Well, it's a very intense process. And uh, some people I know, it took them a year to get noticed. So I applied in March and I found out last uh, the other day with an email, welcome to the tomato meter. And then I had to proceed to jump over, you know, jump through some more hoops, sign things, promise mm -hmm. I'm not going to troll anybody, blah, you know, sign yeah. all sorts of things because ethical behavior is one of them. So, Good. you know, it's I'm not going to have eight-year-old tweets resurfacing. Right. You know, to whatever. But no, you have to promise that you're going to be ethical. And uh, yeah, nice. you, you can only have one source for your reviews. So it's a, it's a whole process. But I'm really happy because, you know, I'm a I'm a, a senior citizen and what? I'm not Gen X or millennials or whatever. And I think it's good to have. Hold a on, Gen. It wouldn't be Gen X. Gen X is not really tomato meter. It's more like millennials and Gen Z. Yeah, Gen Z. I will, um, but I think it's good to have a mix because I do have a lifelong uh, love of watching movies and an appreciation. Life. Right. So I'm um, I'm real happy with with that, and we'll see what goes from there. But I really appreciate. It. I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I have been given the past couple of years. Because as you know, Carl, it is it's crazy out there. Like there's so much white noise like who do you trust who do you think like we try you and i try real hard to think of the audience when we're recommending movies mm -hmm. is this worth your time is this worth your money usually no <laughs> <laughs> lynn so we can find you on rotten tomatoes but where else can we find you yeah uh ktrs radio every thursday night with uh ray hartman it's right after the 10 p.m news and then uh, I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times, and then I have my own website, poplifestl.com, which is the home of our podcast, poplifestl.com presents. I'm Lynn Venhouse, and you are Carl Middleman, and where you can, can we find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern. And for the last month and a half, I've been working on the Mark Cox Morning Show on 97. One and also on the Great Outdoor Show on KMOX and 97.1. So you can hear me all the time and you can hear me on the Maximum Movies podcast. I'm everywhere. I'm People say, hey, we don't know where to find you. Uh, I'm easily found. Yes. And uh, we do have a Facebook page that that uh, posts every one of our podcasts. It's on SoundCloud. It's supposed to be on Apple. But if you need to find past reviews, but this was fun talking to the Tennessee Williams I people. I love that. I love those. Those they were very nice, all of them. And I, I still like my one Brian. I wanted, I want to talk to Brian all, all the time about animation and I should talk and get him together with my daughter who wants to be an animator, but he's a very busy guy. And now he's, he's doing stuff in St. Louis. I'm glad he's back in town. Right. We could have, we could have each of them on for, for um, a half hour. Yeah. Yeah. For the whole thing, but no, the Tennessee Williams festival is one of my favorite things that happens in St. Louis. Oh, I am going to the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival's production of Othello free in the Bellevue Park in Belleville Sunday night at 630. 
and uh, I'm very excited because because they're in my hometown. I wanna I wanna support them coming to the East Side. They continue in parks around St. Louis. Go to their website. They will continue through I think August 29th is the last one. But Carl, you can find out if it's in your neighborhood coming to a neighborhood near you. Excellent. Well, Lynn, be safe, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, Carl. So long. You too. Have a good weekend.